0: I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. As many of you know, today is the 17th of Tammuz which is the beginning of the three weeks, a period between 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, is a period that's called the Bain Hamasarim, or Between the Straits, the narrow and constricted time of the year, where, unfortunately, um, the Jewish people made some wrong decisions, and because of it, this is the time of year when Hashem basically has placed a lot of different calamities and tribulations throughout Jewish history that tend to cluster around this time period. So on the 17th of Tammuz itself, there were five things that happened, five catastrophes. And I'll name them all quickly, but the one that we really want to focus on is the first one, which is that the tablets were broken. This is the day when Moshe came down from Mount Sinai and he was holding the tablets in his hand. Hi, welcome back, Elizabeth. And of course, when he got down, there's a lot of story around this. What he saw was the Jewish people dancing around a golden calf. Um, And we know that the Jewish people had panicked. Moshe, according to their calculations, was not on time. He'd come down a day late. They got nervous. The Sahara started acting up with them. There was even a vision that they all saw of Moshe in a coffin floating overhead. And they panicked and they basically made this new leader, these new gods, so to speak, to replace Moshe. And of course, Moshe sees this and what happens is that the tablets which he's carrying all of a sudden become too heavy for me. Because what happens is the letters that were on the tablets, can everybody hear me okay? No? Yes? Something, the letters that were on the tablets, oh, I forgot to put everybody on mute. Okay, thanks for the reminder. So the letters that were on the tablets literally flew off of them. And because of that, Moshe could not carry them. That's one explanation. And so they just naturally smashed to the ground. But those letters are still with us. Those letters, of course, can never disappear. And there's a Kabbalistic idea that they're still floating around in the world. And that on this day, this fast day, the 17th of Tammuz, they're actually capable of being felt and being used in terms of our own spiritual growth. So we want to capitalize on this day, sort of getting in touch with the fact that, you know, even though on this day, so to speak, it was a sad and tragic day, that the Jews basically lost their connection with this Torah that was being given to them, written by the finger of God. But those letters are still available on this day. And this day will one day turn into a Chag, And and we can we can capture those letters, the learning that we do today should be in the merit of all of those poor souls who are trapped underneath the building in Florida. I just read that the IDF from Israel is sending a rescue force to come and help with the search for these people. May the may our prayers and our learning today be as a zahus for them to be found quickly and to re, be returned to their families. Um, so there were other things that happened on this day. Just quickly, the daily tamid sacrifice was stopped in the first Beit Hamikdash. The wall of the city was breached in the time of the second Beit Hamikdash. pustamus, the wicked burned the Torah. And an idol was placed in the Kodesh Kadoshi. So this was a day when many, many things happened. And as we know, it leads up to Tisha B'Av, which, you know, unbelievably, both temples, the first and the second temple were both destroyed on Tisha B'Av, years apart, but the same day. Now, what happened on Tisha B'Av historically? That was the day that the Jewish people were supposed to enter the land of Israel. That was the day when we had the Chay Tamaragli, where basically the Jewish people, the leaders of the Jewish people said, we can't go into this land. This is a land of giants. God hates us. He doesn't want to take care of us. He's taking us to this land that's going to devour us. It's going to be terrible. And they basically displayed an incredible lack of bitachon. They started crying. And this crying, Rabdesu said, crying is always a sign of internal pain. But this crying was just a crying that came from a total lack of trusting in Hashem. And when God says to them something that we all know as parents, you know, you cried for nothing. I'm going to give you something to cry about. This became the day for all of Jewish history that anything negative that could happen to us would happen on this day or in this time period between again the cheta egel, the sin of the golden calf, where we basically forfeited the Torah, right? And we spend the next three months until Yom Kippur basically doing tshuva. On Yom Kippur, God gives Moshe the second set of luchot. And of course, we forfeited the ability to go into the land of Israel. Now, you have to understand, had we not committed the sin of the golden calf, the Jewish people were on the most tremendously high spiritual level. Had we received those first Luchot, we would have entered Eretz Yisrael immediately, and we would have lived on the level in the land of Israel in the same way that we had been living in the desert. It would have been a place of incredible, miraculous, um, spiritual existence. And we would have basically um, achieved the purpose for what mankind was created for before Adam and Chava did the chait in the Garden of Eden. We would have regained that level. But again, because we unfortunately did not pass these tests, the Jewish people would for now, from now on have to live with the rec- trying to rectify both their disconnection to Torah and the disconnection to the land of Israel. Now, the truth is, we don't ever give up hope. And the second Luchot, as I've said before in other classes, were actually considered more precious. Sorry, the first Luchot, the broken Luchot, the broken tablets were placed together with the second tablets that were given on Yom Kippur, together in the Holy of Holies. And the rabbis tell us that the first Luchot, the broken ones, were actually considered more precious because what they represent is a very Jewish foundational idea that no matter how lost a person is or how disconnected a person might be from their essence, from their Judaism, from their Torah, no matter how much they might have distanced themselves from Hashem through a sin, through an avera that keeps, you know, disconnects us from our source, There's always the hope of return. And these broken Luchot show that even though Moshe comes down and the Jewish people are literally worshipping Avodah vodazara, a different God, right? There's even ideas that say he didn't want to give them the Torah because had they had the Torah, which says don't worship idols in it, right, the Ten Commandments, then God wouldn't have been able to save them because they would have been going against the Torah, but they didn't have it, so to speak. So they really didn't, so to speak, know the gravity of their sin. But again, the point of the first Luchot is that we always can return to Hashem and that actually when we return to Hashem, after we've done wrong, this is considered an even greater connection than that which we had before. And again, I always like to give the image of the rope Imagine a rope that is tied from Hashem to you. And of course, because of our deeds, because, you know, as it says, a person only sins when he's in in a state of insanity, right? When he forgets that he's completely connected to Hashem, his every breath, right? The fact that we get up in the morning. So when we turn away from Hashem and decide we're going to do our own thing, what we're doing in essence is cutting that rope. However, when we realize our mistake, What we're doing with tshuva is we're retying the rope. We're making a knot in the rope. Okay, it doesn't look as beautiful anymore, but the distance between you and Hashem is not only reconnected, but the distance is made shorter by your return. So there's an even greater closeness. Another analogy quickly is an analogy of a king who leaves three of his servants in charge of his wine cellar while he's going away and he gives all three of them the instructions not to touch the wine and to make sure that it's you know completely protected anyway when he comes back he finds out that the first servant could not control himself at all and he drank he drank a bottle of wine the second servant didn't touch a drop and the third one began to drink from one of the bottles of wine, but then realized that he was out of control and quickly put the cop back on, the cork back on the bottle. When the king comes back, of course, the guy who drank the wine, off with his head. The second guy who didn't touch a drop, he's rewarded and he's given a thousand rubles for his loyalty to the king. But the third guy, the king says, you, I'm giving 5,000 rubles to, and I'm not only doing that, I want to make you and appoint you as vice prime minister in my government. So, of course, the second guy is apoplectic. He says, what's going on here? I don't understand. I didn't touch a drop of wine, and I get 1,000 rubles. He, on the other hand, disobeyed you, king. He opened up the wine. He drank from it. But the king said, yes, but I trust him more than I trust you, because he showed incredible amount of ability to recognize his error and to exhibit a self-control and be able to recork the cap. And that's basically the image of what Shuva is. Okay. So in a place where Balit Shuva stand, it says, even Sadiqim gamurim right? A perfectly righteous person cannot stand. Because once you've tasted doing something wrong, but you right yourself, that's greater, right? That's greater than somebody who never had that um, hara before, let's say, as the angels, right? We say that the human being is greater than the Malachi, greater than the angels because we have struggle inside of ourselves. Okay, so let's get um, to our class. This morning, have Askinam, of course, just to uh, remind ourselves, the reason that we're learning this topic right now is because we are, again, in this period of time where we're told in the Gemara that in every generation that the temple lies in ruins, it means that the sin, the rectification of what caused the destruction of the second temple, which was seen as causeless hatred of one Jew to the other, that until this is rectified and fixed, every generation has to see itself as if the temple had been destroyed in their day. Unfortunately, Hashem is giving us a lot of reminders of destruction you know, beginning with Lagba Omer and miron and 45 people lost there. And then, of course, we had the incident with the Karlin of Stoliner Hasidim and the bleachers that collapsed. And now we have this incident in Florida. The Number three is really not a good number in terms of whatever, but you know, somebody was asking my husband, it's so weird how all of these incidences are all about people being crushed. And, you know, what is that? What is that trying to tell us? What is that message? What, what could it possibly be about? And, um, you know, but that that's what it is. And every one of them is, is, is the same kind of a trauma or death. Um, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Nivea, even though my name's Devorah. <laughs> but, you know, perhaps it just means that, you know, we have to just try to rise up a little bit higher in every way, in terms of, again, loving our fellow Jew, feeling that we're responsible for each other, that if you can, you know, raise somebody up around you, because you know some Torah and they don't, or you can give them some kind of light in their life that they don't have, that this is a way of rising up and spreading the light and using our lives to illuminate the lives of other people around us and try to get ourselves to a place where our love is more free-flowing and not stuck, you know, not damned up, But rather able to flow freely and get, you know, and again, back to our class, you know, especially with those circle one people who are the hardest people in our lives, right? The ones we take for granted, but the ones that Hashem put in our inner circle to allow us to work on ourselves. Okay, so we're going to continue now. Last week, we were talking about the idea that um, sometimes when we're giving We don't feel that our giving is being received. And, you know, we would think that our giving is going to create love from the people we're giving to, and yet there seems to be some kind of blockage. So we were talking about the idea that there are deeper reasons for why people may not be receiving what you want to give. And the problem could be in the giver. There's something maybe about my giving that's making it difficult. For the receiver to receive it. So there's an idea here by Rabbi Itamar Schwartz. I don't think we talked about this yet. Which is that giving in love has three levels. Does anybody remember if we talked about this? The first level is being aware or mindful of the fact that you're giving. So it's telling yourself in some kind of conscious way, I am giving right now, right? I'm making a salad for my family. I'm going out of my way to pick somebody up. I'm doing something for somebody else. And being mindful of the fact that you are giving right now. And instead of getting caught up in the technical details of the giving, become aware that you are now in giving mode. Okay? The second thing that Rabbi Itamar Schwartz says, you should do a little bit of introspection. And ask yourself, why am I giving? There's many reasons that we give to others, he says, and love is just one of them. So, you know, for example, you could be making a salad for somebody in your circle one, somebody in your, you know, maybe you're making a salad for your spouse or for your kid. But you could feel like you're doing it out of obligation, not necessarily out of love. And a person actually feels what's in the food, right? Sometimes we might say about our bubbies cooking or whatever, you know, it was just infused with love, right? Those challahs. You know, we're just infused with love, that chicken soup, right? We have this tremendous power. Now, we can also cook food that's infused with resentment, right? That's infused with, I don't get any appreciation around here. All I've got, I'm a schmata. Nobody, nobody notices how much I do for them. And those kind of feelings also get infused into the food, so to speak. So that's the idea of this. Is that perhaps sometimes we're giving and we're giving and we're giving, but the giving isn't coming from that place of love. There's something that's blocking it up, right? Or sometimes we give because we want something in return, right? We might give, like I said, I think in the last class, we might give out of guilt. We might give out of pity. We might give because I'll do this for you if you do this for me. So the giving isn't really coming from the most altruistic place. It's coming from issues that cover up the love. And that's why the person receiving it isn't getting the message. It's not coming through loud and clear, okay? Love is one of the ways that we give. And what we wanna do is make our actions that we're doing anyway more mindful more introspective, and more infused with love, and not all the other stuff that could be part of it, you know, and you can even say to the person, just to remind yourself, this is because I love you, or, you know, it's such a pleasure to do this for you. Okay. But the truth is, is even if you don't say anything, your thoughts determine how nurtured the person feels by whatever it is you're giving them to, right? Your husband could feel nurtured by that salad you made him or could feel like, okay, she's just doing it because it's an obligation. She put dinner on the table tonight because she was afraid that when I came home, if it wasn't there, we'd get in a fight or I'd say, you know, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is for you. But when you infuse it with love, it actually is felt by the other person. So Dina Schoonmaker gives an example that she once took her daughter to the mall. And she herself was extremely busy. Her life was very busy. And she personally hates shopping. She hates going to the mall. She hates the whole thing. But she, you know, took time out of her busy schedule. And she said, come on, we're going to the mall. I'm going to buy you some clothes. Let's go. And when she came back from this trip, she said to her husband, you know, I was really surprised at our daughter, at Shandy. She wasn't very appreciative. And, you know, I told my husband, she says, that I can't believe how unappreciative she was. Being at the mall was the last place I wanted to be. I made time in my busy schedule to take her shopping, and there was no gratitude. Anyway, her husband answered her and said, That's exactly why she didn't appreciate you or appreciate it because she felt how you felt. She felt that as much as you were taking around the mall and buying your stuff, she felt that you didn't really want to be there, right? And she felt, even if you didn't say it, that, you know, you weren't happy as much as you could have been about taking that time out with her. It was a pain. It was something that you had to get over. So this is a very glaring example of, you know, how easily the the daughter would be able to pick up on the fact that even though her mother's saying, I can't believe it. She's so ungrateful. I took time out. I'm giving to her. I'm doing this activity with her, but that is not my favorite activity. And then she wonders why her kid isn't grateful. Okay. But this can be in a very subtle way too where we're doing and we're doing and we're giving and we're giving, but there are other things that are in the way and our love, our pure love for the other person is not getting through because again, we've got resentment, we're doing it out of guilt, we're doing it out of pity. There's all kinds of ulterior motives that could be in the giving, okay? So people will feel more nurtured when I am aware that I am giving Right, when again, I go back to that mindful place of right now I'm giving to this person and that I want my intention to be that it's coming from a loving place. So I'm not just throwing down the food. You know, I'll give you an example um, you know, in my own life. You know, my husband has these plates that are much heavier than the Corral plates, but they're plates that we got when we you know were newly married. Obviously they're much prettier. They're, you know, China, which makes them much heavier. And, you know, he likes to eat his food on that plate. I couldn't care less. I'll grab the, the, I'll grab the Corel. It's light, it's skinny. It's usually on the top and it's easy. And I have to make this extra effort. It hasn't become, it's getting a little easier, right? But I have to make this extra effort to realize if, if he likes his eggs on that pretty plate, okay? Even though it's a pain for me, instead of taking that plate out like, ah, you know, and he's probably, you know, getting the eggs with that, oh, why can't he just be happy with the Corel, right? <laughs> you know? But now I say, okay, this is the extra love, the extra added way that I'm expressing. Here's the eggs on the plate that you prefer. And it's going to take more effort. But maybe it's another way of my reminding myself, give him these eggs with love. You know, in a full way with all of myself, not just with part of myself and then other stuff mixed in. Okay, I I, I gave that example because I think it's a good one. So uh, another idea here is that, um, you know, even when you're talking to somebody, even when you're in conversation with somebody, people can sense when you're talking to them because you want to be, or when you feel it's kind of like a burden, right? People can sense when they when you're feeling like you have to talk to them or when you really want to talk to them, or you want to listen to them. And it's a different kind of feeling that people pick up on. Another idea here is that sometimes the smallest things that we do are so much easier to communicate with love. A small act could be so much more pure than some grandiose thing that we want to do for somebody else. So for example, just pouring a person a glass of water Right. Somebody comes in and it's hot outside and you simply pour them a glass of water. This small little act can be so infused with the purity of love and giving where sometimes the larger the act, the more difficult it is to infuse it with that same purity of love. Because the more efforts we make, what do you mean? Do you know that I went 20 miles to your favorite bakery to get you that rum ball? And all I get is thanks? That's it? You know, right? So when we make more efforts, sometimes it's more difficult to have that purity because we're already expecting back. We're already doing it with other ulterior motives in mind, you know? And it's a little bit of a tit for tat, you know, because I did all of this for you, of course, I'm expecting you to do the same for me when the time comes. So again, what the rabbis are teaching us is sometimes the smallest acts that we do, we're going to be much more successful in doing them with a purity and with a love that's coming through to the recipient. And sometimes the more grandiose acts we do can be much more difficult to do with the right intent. Okay, the purpose of love, the purpose of loving other people for no good reason, right, except that it makes us into more loving people, right, is the idea of achdut, achdus, right, achdus from the word echad is to create oneness, right, we know that the word ahava, love in Hebrew it actually has the same uh, gematria, the same numerology as the word echad, which means one. And the middle letters of the word ahava is an Aramaic word, hav, hey, bat, hey, vet, which means give. So we already spoke about this, that giving leads to loving, that when you give to somebody, you love them. And part of it is, is because you see yourself in them, a part, that part of you that you've extended, that you've reached outside yourself, because now you see that yourself in that person. And because we all love ourselves, right? Uh, As much as we beat ourselves up, we also love ourselves very, very much. When we see that of ourselves in the other person, that's also a sense of being attached of creating this actus with another person. So the Gemara in Baba Basra talks about a Roman emperor who comes to uh, Rabbi Akiva and he says, does your God love poor people? Because if he loves them, why doesn't he take care of them? Why does he keep them poor? Why are there even poor people in the world? And Rabbi Akiva answered him because Hashem wanted to give us mitzvahs to help those people. So why does Hashem leave us to deal with the needs of other people? Why couldn't he have made everybody self-sufficient, given everybody bounty, everybody what they need? You know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Chava were created as one human being. And God and Adam says, I'm lonely, right? I don't have a partner. And God literally does surgery, right? And separates them. And basically is saying, now you will have somebody to give to, right? Now you will feel complete, because you'll be able to give to the other, and complete the other half. And you know, I like to say that, you know, when God did surgery he didn't cut them in a straight line he cut them in a jagged line right and fitting the two people back together and giving the giving that the other person can receive that's the work that's involved but the same idea is what what rabbi akiva answers turnus rufus god created people with less and people with more because this is supposed to be a world of giving and as much as you're giving to the other person you're also receiving. You're being given the opportunity to give and that's making everybody larger, right? And so the idea is here that God wants to create achtu's and closeness between people. Any need I fill for someone in a loving way, whether it's pouring them a glass of water, right? Or running a hundred miles to get them what they need. Hashem's giving me an opportunity to become more connected to the other person. So whether it's with people in our circle three, you know, the lady who's at the crosswalk and she's walking across the street and you not only stop for her, but you smile at her from your car and you give her a little wave, you know, imagine a little old lady crossing the street and she's so surprised, number one, that you're so patient, right? And you're letting her cross the street and you're actually giving her a smile and a wave back. And there's a connection. There's a connection that's being made with that stranger. Because you've taken the time to realize, I'm giving, I'm connecting. I'm bringing more achtes into the world. And it just took a little bit more, a few more seconds, and a little bit of time. And, you know, um, so this is an Ahavas minute, right? You can tell yourself, this is an Ahavas moment. This is a time where I'm just giving out my love for nothing, mindfully. It could be 20 seconds, right? And it's not a feeling of I'm stopping out of obligation because there's a crosswalk and because I have to, but rather I'm happy to stop. It's my pleasure to allow you to walk across the street. Now, I know this is hard in Brooklyn and New York, where I remember when I lived there, they used to say, what's the definition of a split second in New York? the time it takes for the light to turn green and the guy behind you to honk, right? Everybody's in a major rush. And no matter where you live today, people are in a rush. But the pandemic has slowed us down a lot. The pandemic has given everybody time to breathe and time to just be and time to simplify and recognize The simplicity of life is so much better than all the stuff that we pile on top of ourselves and get busy with and run away from whatever it is we're scared of. And then we sort of realize, what am I running away from? This simplicity is so wonderful. And even time spent alone with oneself and learning how to love oneself, which the pandemic has done, has been so good for people enjoying their own company, right, getting to know oneself, and now, you know, that we're breaking out, people are saying they're appreciating other people more, as much as everybody's laughing about how somebody told me yesterday that I met, that, you know, we've lost some social skills, (laughs) you know, she was saying that, that she read something where people are forgetting to introduce other people to each other, if they're in, like, a group, like, Social skills that you just take for granted that you've been doing and practicing your whole life, like it could be just from this year and a bit that we've kind of been, you know, on our own or in our own little nuclei of families that, you know, there's certain things that we have to relearn. You know, and some people are venturing out and really excited about seeing people and other people are saying, well, I have a better balance now. I don't have to have guests every Shabbos and I don't need to have people around me all the time. And I'm good like this. I have figured out my life as an empty nester with my husband in the house that I didn't have, you know, that I was scared of before. So there's all kinds of different ways that we have changed or we have experienced some kind of difference. And the idea here is that circle three people, those people that are on our periphery, we should be able to be more abundant with our hellos, with our smiles, with our saying good mornings to people that we pass on the street and bringing more love into the world. Because this is what Hashem wants us to do. Okay, so the homework in terms of this idea is to take an action take an action that you're already doing, and try to infuse it with more love, right? Either by saying to yourself, the three steps, right? I'm now about to give to you. I want to do this with intention. And I want to make sure that I do it. What was the third one? No, it's not here. I guess I want to make sure that I'm doing it with as pure a love as I can, not mixed with anything else, so that that's the way you're going to receive it, okay? It's my absolute pleasure to give to you. Thank you for the opportunity, because when I give to you, I'm expanding myself, I'm developing my ability to love others, and of course, It's the giving that leads to the loving. Okay. Okay, here's a different point. Somebody asks a question, you know, what about a mother-in-law who does a lot for a daughter-in-law, but the daughter-in-law doesn't feel that the mother-in-law likes her nevertheless? Okay, So what Dina Schoonmaker answers here, she says, maybe the mother-in-law doesn't like you, but she does it for you anyway. So even when you're giving, the principle here is even when you're giving to somebody that you don't really like, it's called masiris nefesh, meaning that it's really hard for you. It's like you're sacrificing a part of yourself that's not enjoying the giving because you have trouble with this person But you're doing it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. So you get scar for that. So again, I'm saying this because not always can our giving be infused with love. Some people make it very difficult. It doesn't matter how much we do. It doesn't matter how we do it, you know. They're never going to say thank you without some kind of criticism or they may not ever say thank you even. I mean, I've talked to people who have mothers like this, who have people in their circle one that are just never grateful. It's never good enough. It's never enough. So what do you do? Do you stop giving to them because it's impossible to do it with love? So the answer here is no. Hashem recognizes. He put this person in your circle one. He recognizes how difficult it is for you and you are rewarded, the funsara agra, right? According to the effort is the reward because there are some people who no matter how well you do it from your heart, it will never be received properly because they're incapable of receiving, okay? And, you know, But, but this is where she says the difference between that and ahavas chinam, loving others for no reason, is different. It's a different mitzvah. It's a different midah. It's the mita of I loved buying you that sweater. I love doing this for you. Whatever it is that you're actually giving, you're doing it with nurturance and love. Okay? And it's the idea that even if you don't feel that way, you're faking it until you make it. Now, I'm not talking about the very difficult people there where, again, we said there's no chance, no matter what you do necessarily, because they have a difficult personality. But with regular people that we're interacting with and we're trying to up our level of we want to work to just infuse whatever we're doing with more love, okay, with a pure kind of giving. There's lots of things we do for others that are not ahavashinam that are not coming from love because it's hard to love that person and we get hard we get rewarded for that but again this particular type of giving this is where when we're giving and we have no reason you know to be for it to be uh, necessarily an extremely difficult person that we're giving it to we're trying to find that pure flowing place of love that we said at the beginning of the series that Our nefesh, our soul, has this unlimited amount of love within us. And that's what we're trying to tap into. And that's what we're trying to allow to flow freely. Okay? This more natural kind of loving. Now, sometimes it's hard because sometimes... Oh, I just want to mention something else. I I downloaded this thing. It was called The Value of Talking to Strangers and nodding acquaintances. And the experts say that COVID has robbed us of impromptu contacts that help keep us happy. Okay? It's the conversation with a local barista, a bus driver, a casual work acquaintance, or a person in line at the store that make up what the experts call weak ties. Individuals we don't know well, if at all, but who nevertheless contribute to our happiness and sense of belonging. These encounters have largely gone missing with the advent of stay at home orders and lockdowns issued in an effort to combat the spread of COVID-19. And that loss could be taking a significant toll on our emotional health and professional productivity. Research suggests there are so many reasons that these informal connections are so beneficial. Okay, so we're referring to the Circle Three people, right? They are typically brief, taking up little time in our overscheduled lives. They offer people a way to be seen, heard, and appreciated, as well as the chance for them to express gratitude. They frequently come free of any expectations. They're likely to be bridges to other communities and networks. And perhaps most important of all, according to the researchers, they can help us cope with some of life's most pressing challenges. So because of COVID-19, we don't have that many opportunities to just run into people anymore, not just strangers. But those people who are not, um, anyway, those people are very, very important for our emotional health. So it was just an article saying that circle three people that we might not even realize until we've been in this pandemic, those people, those casual acquaintances, those people that we don't even know, actually benefit our emotional health and our mental health when we reach out and expand ourselves and connect with those people around us. Okay. Okay. it's interesting, in, in Hebrew, there's actually, in Israel, there's actually a lingo that describes somebody who has Ahavaschina. Rebets and Dina Schoonmaker says that when people are in the shiddach world and they're looking for a shiddach, right? One of the compliments in Hebrew that people are given is, he or, you know, he uh, uh, She's a girl who's zoremet. What does zoremet means? The word zorem means to flow. That she just naturally flows. In other words, that she's well adjusted, and that she's sort of free flowing. And she's talking about this idea of our love being free flowing. There's nothing that's like that that's stilted in this person. That's held back but rather it's, it's, a, it's a specific personality trait that's part of the lingo in Hebrew of describing somebody who has this sort of ahavas finam of being very free-flowing, relaxed, and loving towards other people. So how do we become like that? So Revis and suggests that with people who are difficult in our circle one, one of the ways that we can win them over is, um, you know, sometimes we have certain behaviors that are more controlled around these people. And if we can just kind of shake ourselves up and do something different around these people, sometimes we can break through. Like, for example, she says about herself that she's not particularly a funny person or that humorous, but she'll try to like lighten up and maybe use humor with one of these people in her circle one, you know, that instead of going head to head with them or whatever to try and get that free flowing love to be able to come out. Or she says, you know, if there's an activity that you love to do anyway and puts you in a good mood, you know, and you invite them along to be part of that activity, you're already, you know, you're already on top of your game, because you're already doing something that you naturally love. And by including this person, and it's more likely that that love will overflow to them. So these are just different um, ways. And then, of course, the idea we just talked about, infusing small actions with positivity. You, whether you're cutting a salad or pouring a glass of water. To be doing it with an awareness of doing it with the positivity. To... Um, To give a small compliment and infuse it with love and gratitude. These are all important ways that we can make a person feel our love. And that we can unlock our own um, love that may be restricted within us. And, you know, sometimes our love is restricted. It's not even about the people around us. It's just cultural. It's our own fears and insecurities. It's our own vulnerability, perhaps, you know, I can't love too much because what if I get hurt? What if the other person doesn't accept my love? What if, you know, it comes with too many strings attached? So sometimes we have a lot of illusions ourselves that constrict our ability to just be Zorema, to just allow that free-flowing love to come. And for each of us, it can be something different, right? You know, it could be a a distrust of other people, a a worry about, you know, allowing that emotion to come to the surface. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, but I'm just, you know, thinking out loud. So Sarah Hannah Radcliffe of Toronto fame right, and we've said this before, she's famous for making this idea very popular, which is that 80% of your interactions are supposed to be positive, and 20% of your interaction with children specifically can be negative. And she says so much of our communication with our family members are in the negative category. Now, when we talk about negative, we're not talking about criticism. It can be simply, did you pick up the the laundry from the dry cleaners? Like I asked you, Um, you know, get your boots on. Did you brush your teeth? You know, just giving commands, just telling people what to do. Many people file in the negative. It's not considered part of the 80% positive, right? Hurry up, get moving, hurry up. I always have to wait for you. Let's go. Even said in a nice tone, it still goes into the negative bank account with the people in our circle one. So she says that you, um, that the power of positive words is so much stronger in terms of how other people receive it and how it's, um, how it's um, received in the brain, right, in the brain. The power of positive is so much stronger than the negative. So, this 80% of positive is divided into two types of different kinds of positive. And I think we've spoken about that. There's the conditional one that says, Thanks for taking out the garbage, right? You did a great job on your test. Wow, I saw you dovening this morning. You dovened with so much kavana, it's beautiful. So this, she says, can be 50% of your positive positive interactions with people. In other words, it's dependent on a job well done, on something that they did. But what Sarah Hunter Radcliffe says is that it's actually the other 50%, the unconditional positive, that really builds a person's self-esteem. It's the positive words that come with no strings attached. The positive that just says, gee, I am so happy that you're my kid. Wow. I am so lucky that Hashem made me your mother. Right? Or with our spouses or with the people, you know, our friendships. You know, I'm so grateful that you're my friend. I just have to tell you this. Not for this reason or that reason or any other reason. And she says that research shows that it's these unconditional positives of the 50-50 of the 80% positive interactions that really are responsible for self-esteem. You know, you don't have to be a great business person. You don't have to get an A-plus on your test. You don't have to do anything. I love you unconditionally. The first type of conditional can breed a perfectionistic attitude where they only get positive feedback connected to something that they did. I'm loved when I produce. I'm worthy when I produce. And it's very hard for us because we, you know, we grow up in environments where our parents have high aspirations for us and we pass this on to our kids. You know, it's not good enough unless you reach this level, then you'll get a compliment. And for sure, culturally, you know, people who came from more European backgrounds, getting any kind of praise for anything you did, right? Unless, you know, you came home, you know, you might not have not gotten your first piece of praise until you finished medical school and were the top surgeon in the hospital. But before that, nobody said very much about anything you did, because a lot of uh, European parents showed their love without expressing it. You know, the mother might get up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and iron your underwear, right? And that was the way she was showing her love. But she would never say, you know, we're so proud of you that you got it even there. They didn't even get the, the conditional positive praise, okay, that you got an A+. plus. But for those of us who gave our kids the conditional positive praise, we have to realize that what we do sometimes is we create unrealistic expectations for themselves of perfectionism. I'm only going to compliment you, right? If it's tied to something that you did. But Ahavas is like this unconditional positive. Ahavas falls into the category of, I love you just because. I love you because you are who you are, Right? I'm so grateful to have you in my life. I want to give to you because just by virtue of the fact that, you know, you are so wonderful. You are so terrific. Not because of what you did. Not because of, you know, something you achieved. You don't have to earn my love. We said this at the beginning, right? Ahavas means free love. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you're eligible for. It's like if you went to a store and they were giving out something free, they didn't say, well, you know, show me your papers. You know, let me see if, you know, you're down on the list. No, we're giving it out for free. You don't have to pay for it. And this is what we mean by Avas Okay, um, I think we're going to end here today because we're going to continue with this idea. Um, so let's just give ourselves a little bit of homework. So again, the circle one person, the people in our lives that Hashem has chosen for us to be in our inner circle, because they're the ones that, of course, give us the most work in terms of perfecting ourselves, in terms of being metakein, right, uh, being that tikkun that we need to perfect ourselves. So they're the people that require the most work. So if there's a circle one person who you want to make more like a circle two person, again, we said circle two people are people who you just feel your best with. They're people you choose. They're people who bring out you know, the best in you. And the circle one people see you with those people. And they're almost jealous. And they say, why isn't she like that with me? Why is she so uptight with me? Why isn't she free flowing and laughing and smiling and just being zoremit, you know? What, What is it? I wish. I just wish she would be like that with me. I just wish. So that's the image, right? How can I be more like that with my circle one? So again, back to our point. You have to catch them not only doing good and saying something, but what they need even more than that is the unconditional positive. You make me happy even when you're not producing. It's like going over to a kid and just giving them a big hug just because, right? I'm so happy you're here. Giving a good feeling just because for no good reason. Okay, so that's our homework, ladies. First of all, number one, to try and take a small act, pouring a glass of water, right? And try to infuse it with more love. Recognize that it's so much easier with a small act to make that giving pure and loving. Let the other person really gets the message because people feel what you're feeling. We know when a woman is resentful and upset, and not happy in her giving, the whole family senses it. The whole family feels it. We have this incredible power to be able to infuse everywhere we go with love. And the second idea, again, is to recognize that the unconditional positive, just because you're you, my love is free, it's not dependent on anything that you do, This is the most powerful type of love which builds self-esteem, which is unconditional, right? And which is less likely to have other agendas attached to it. You know, I love you when you do such and such, A, B, or C. We want to get rid of that and focus more. And again, obviously that has its place and it's important and it's positive, But what we want to try to focus on is the unconditional, which is, again, an expression of avas chinam, just because that you don't have to be perfect to merit my free-flowing love. You know, and again, back to the idea, I'm so fortunate that Hashem gave me somebody to give to because by giving, that is how we achieve love. And of course we expand ourselves when we're giving and the more we can do the giving in a mindful, elevated way, the more we're going to gain for ourselves and of course the world around us. Okay, so circle one, circle three, circle two's easy. Circle two's easy, Kim. Marlene, you guys are all circle two. Right? It's So, circle one. Circle three is not so hard ease either. Just expand yourself. New Yorkers are a little more afraid to say hello to complete strangers. When you come from a small town, it's just a given, you know, that you say hello, you say good morning, you don't have to know the person. When you're a big city person, it's like weird. People are going to think I'm weird, you know, people will think I, you know, but try it just with the little old ladies and men that you see, even. It just, changes your day and it changes theirs. Okay, ladies, thank you for listening. For those of you who are fasting, have an easy fast. May this won't be the last fast that we ever have to fast. May Tisha B'Av turn into a day of happiness and celebration, greater than any, any other holiday on the calendar year. And may we hear good news from Florida. May they find these people. May they be reunited with their families. And may we all use our dovening and our prayers and our tears for a purpose, not to cry for nothing, but to cry with a sense of yearning, that Hashem should take away all the sorrows, all the pain, all the suffering that's going on in people's lives individually and for us as a people, and we should enter and usher into a new world. Thank Amen. you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you, Deborah. It was wonderful. So nice to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. I'll see you. You Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Deborah. Thank you. Keep on loving and giving as best as you can.